Hello, and welcome to the first Prez Mommy podcast. The show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert talks about Colossians 1, 3-14. Paul begins the letter by recognizing what God has already done in the life of the church, praying for the results of the gospel to be born out of the church. Let's hear today's message. I was just checking to see if it's raining yet. <laughs> We've gone 21 days without rain, you know that? 21 days, it's a, it's a record in this time of year in this part of the country. And while uh, it's a blessing uh, to those who play golf, for example, like I try to do, it's hard for those who try to uh, nurture a garden or uh, even more farmers growing crops in the field. I, again, I've been grateful in my golf game, but I, I like to garden too, um, and it's been a bit of a struggle. Here's one of my raised beds where I try to uh, plant green bean seeds. Do we have that? Yeah. So I, I got a late start. Got a late start. I, I put the seeds in not too long ago, and yet this is still a picture from uh, just a few days ago. I've been watering every morning, every morning, um, and becoming a little bit frustrated because I'm not seeing the growth that I want. Now, if this was my first year trying to grow green beans, I think I'd be more frustrated than I am. It's not my first rodeo, and so I know it takes a little while. Just wait, be patient, keep watering, keep the squirrels and the birds away, all of that, right? As I was watering one morning, it struck me that this was a pretty good image for the text before us this morning. For those gathered in the ancient city of Colossae, the the recipients of the letter were newly planted in the Lord. They were new believers, excited to follow Jesus, wanting to grow, and yet becoming frustrated as they face some of the obstacles that are natural in faith. And so it was that the Apostle Paul wrote to them and began his letter by talking about the the fundamentals, the nature of faith. What is it? Where does it come from? And what does God expect as we're called to walk in faith with him? It's what Paul wrote to the Colossians about, and it's what, what we ought to be asking of ourselves as we begin this letter this morning. It's important for us to understand the nature of faith. What is it? And what does God desire from our life together? And so, as, a, as you've already been cued, we're going to go through uh, the Scripture pretty, uh, pretty deeply. And so, if you have not gotten a journal, it is not too late. We're all going to close our eyes and pray in a moment, and that's your chance. No one will see you. You can still scoot back and grab one of these and then we'll look at it together. But let's pray. Lord God, thank you again that you have given us your word, revealing some of these most important concepts, concepts like who you are and who you call us to be and what this thing that we call faith is and what you desire from our life. 
And so, Lord, as we give ourselves to your word, would you lead us by your spirit that we would not simply grow in head knowledge, but that we would meet you in a special way, grow in love with and for you, and so be transformed in our very being, that we would reflect you into the world. It is in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. All right. Well, last, last week we introduced this book. We looked at names within the greeting and then the very end of the letter. But let's get into the meat of it, which begins at verse 3. Words that if you're not careful, you might throw away, but I, I want to make sure that you don't. As we read, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. It's important to notice who Paul understands the responsible party for the growth of of faith to be. That is God himself. Ever think about that? That this faith that we talk about, this faith that we share, the faith that Paul wrote about, the faith in the city of Colossae and here in Maumee, it all begins with God. This is his work. And so it's not Paul, we said he's not, he didn't establish this church, but it's not even Epaphras who's mentioned earlier on. Epaphras was used by God, but he's not ultimately responsible for faith. Here, it's not me. I'm not responsible for your faith or the faith of the church, and it's not Horatio Conant either, right? God is the one who is unfolding his plan. God's the one who planted the seed, if we're going to keep using that image. He's the one who stuck his finger in the ground and pushed that seed down. And he's the one who is nurturing its growth. And so Paul begins by thanking God for this work that is taking place. It's a work that he wants us to understand, for it's critical to understand and believe the gospel if we're going to grow together. The gospel is often in the New Testament informed by three words, and these three words are present here in verses four and five as well. I want you to find them and underline or circle them, note them in your journal. Those words are faith, hope, and love. Kind of heard that before, haven't you? Faith, hope, and love. Notice in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Gospel life, this life we're called to share together, is often described as a life made up of faith, hope, and love. I'll show you that from a few other Uh, passages of scripture. Now last week some of you said, whoa, that was a lot of information and I couldn't keep up. I'll try to slow down a bit, but just mention, you know, when we put these up there, just write down the reference. These verses I'll show you would be great for you to use later on in the week in your own devotional study. Make them the, the focus of your own reading and your own prayer. And even if I suggest it, you don't need to write everything down. Listen for the prompting of the Spirit, what God is speaking to you through this time. But I put in front of you 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as one example, verses 2 and 3. 
It's a slide that will put it up here. Here we read, we give thanks to God always for uh, all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of, here they go, faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Likewise, in the letter to the Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, we read, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See the triad there? And then, of course, many of you are already thinking about the most famous exposition of these three words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the passage that talks all about love and then ends with, so now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The scripture uses these three words to talk about this life that we're called into as we follow Jesus. And so look once again in your journal at how they're used in verses 4 and 5. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I want you to notice a couple of things there. I want you to notice the way the word faith and love are used. Almost like they're synonymous. Like they, they, they come as a package deal. You can't have one with the other, without the other. He gives thanks because of your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. They, they come together. Even though some in our world suggest otherwise. Have you ever heard anyone talk about, well, I, I have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not all about this organized religion stuff. Well, I kind of get what they're saying. Organized religion has all sorts of baggage. But the scripture always suggests that if you love Jesus, if you have faith in Christ Jesus, you're also going to have love for his church, his body. Like it's a package deal. You can't have faith without love, nor true love from God without faith. Same, same thing suggested in the great commandment. You know the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love who? Your neighbor as yourself. It's a package deal. You can't really love God and then say, eh, my neighbor, right? And you can't really love your neighbor without knowing where love comes from, from God. It, it comes together. So, too, is the case here. Now, one note before we go on. Love for all the saints. Notice small s. This is not big S. We're not talking about yeah, big S. Let me announce that, enunciate that really clearly. Big S. That was a joke. Totally over your head. You got it? All right, all right. Big S would be like, <laughs> sorry, St. Augustine, right? Saint, the saints of history. Small s is all the believers, any follower of Jesus. Notice that faith and love, 
grow out of hope. Faith and grow out of hope. Verse 5, because there is a causal word here. Faith in Christ Jesus and love for all the saints grow out of hope, but not just any hope. Hope laid up in heaven. Hope that is the word of truth. Hope that is the gospel. Do you see that? Verse 5. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? God's word, yeah? It's translated two words, just two words, if we're going to take it literally. Some of you know it. Good news, right. Yeah, the gospel means good news. But still, what is this good news we're called to share? I had somebody in my office not too long ago, a friend of mine, who found himself in a pretty desperate situation. And he came to me for help. And because I knew him intimately as a friend, I kind of understood things about his life. And I said, look, you need to believe the gospel. You need to believe the gospel. I, I knew him to be a man of faith. And so I just said, you need to believe the gospel over and over and over again. Until finally, he was honest enough to say, what is that? <laughs> and then I found myself, maybe like you, going, well, it's, uh, you know... It's, it's Jesus. Sometimes, even though we throw that word around, it's hard to clearly and succinctly articulate the gospel, don't you think? What is this good news that, that causes us to gather as we do every Sunday? And that is the basis for our life together. When studying this passage, I gratefully recognize that that we are given a clear definition of the gospel at the end of what we just read, verses 13 and 14. I want you to flip ahead and notice it. That here is the gospel. That through Jesus, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. Is that not a clear definition of the good news that undergirds our life together? Pastor Tom just lifted up Tim Keller and his definition of the gospel as we came into this time of confession. I want to put that up so you can see it one more time. Tim Keller, as he said, is a Presbyterian ministry, just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And while it's a gain in heaven, it's a loss here, I, I think Tim Keller will be recognized as somebody really important uh, to the, the life of the church in this world, much like we look back on C.S. Lewis. Again, he says this, the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. This ties well into the definition we read in the book of Colossians. Right? So think about it. That, that Colossians says that we are, 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 are at one time living in the domain of darkness. In Keller's words, more flawed and sinful 
uh, than we ever dared believe. It's like, whoa, we never recognized that. But we have been transferred into the kingdom of his son, Colossians says. Or Keller says, more loved and accepted than we ever dared dream. How does that happen? Both of them, through Jesus Christ, because of his death on the cross, who enabled us to be transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of his son. This is the gospel, friends. And this is the seedbed from which our faith grows. Can we, do we have that image? I know I'm asking you to back up a little bit in your slides, but do you have that image? Like there's, there's that seedbed and there's hope, right? That's, I know it doesn't look very hopeful, and sometimes that's what it feels like when the gospel is beginning in our life. It's like, oh man, I'm trying to believe, but it doesn't feel much like this. But it's the seedbed from which our life grows. It's where faith and love are nurtured. Hope in the gospel produces faith in Christ Jesus. Let's try to understand that together. Hope in the gospel nurtures faith in Christ Jesus. What's, what's faith? Well, the Bible itself gives us a definition in Hebrews chapter 11. You might write that down. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When people say, oh, you're a person of faith, by biblical definition, they're saying, all right, you are certain of something that you have not yet seen. You haven't experienced exactly. So what is it that we are hoping for? Well, it's not as good church people often mistakenly think, it's not that if we just show up, sit in the pews, sing the songs, come year after year after year, that we will eventually become good enough people that we will become acceptable to God. It's not that if we live rightly at the end, we'll meet St. Peter at that gate, right? And he'll go, ah, let me look at your account here. You did this many good things this many bad things, and if your good things outnumber your bad things, you're in. Because if that were the case, we'd all be out. That's not the gospel. And yet many good church people confuse that. No, again, remember the words of Colossians, residents of the domain of darkness, or Keller, that we are more flawed and sinful than we ever dared to believe. Like it's hard to conceive of it. A mentor of mine suggested that, that looking at our life as we seek to follow Christ is kind of like peeling an onion. Right? You try to become better and so you peel off that outward layer of your life till finally you've got this beautiful, fragrant kind of right fruit. Looks ready to eat. You set it down on the counter, go do something else for a little while, come back to it. Oh my goodness, right? It's hard and crusty yet again. That the more you try to improve yourself, 
the more you recognize how crusty and layered your life actually is. It's kind of like you ever tried to stop swearing? Some of you never swore in your life. That's fine. Good for you. I used to, right? Try to stop swearing. Just try to get a hold of your tongue. Not a bad thing to do, but one thing I noticed, I might be able to control my words, but the attitudes of my heart that produce those words, anger, right? Uh, What would be another one? Judgment, pride. Boy, those things were still there, even if I could control my words. That's what the gospel says, is look, we are in trouble. The gospel isn't saying you need to become good enough. It's saying, look, there there is no hope for you as you live in the domain of darkness. And it's that reality that is the fertile ground in which faith in Christ Jesus grows. Kind of like this. Go back to the picture, right? It is in the seedbed of hope that faith grows. Like my artwork, right? Not faith in ourselves. Not faith in our own goodness. In fact, the exact opposite. It's believing what the gospel says, which is we're in trouble. Which is an absolutely countercultural message. Do you recognize that? That the words all around you, on television, in the movies, from your neighbors, in our culture, suggest the very opposite. Modern culture says, you are good enough, relax. Or even worse, you are perfect just as you are. There's probably a Sesame Street episode that says that. You are perfect just as you are. I tried to illustrate that. Went into a search engine. In quotes, put that. You might try this. You are perfect just as you are. I thought I'd throw something up as an illustration. I'm not because I got overwhelmed by the number of references, journals, articles, organizations that are lifting up that message. You are perfect just the way you are. Is that true? No hands here. No hands. You know it's not. Not for any of us. We all know that, if we're honest. We all look at ourselves. Not anyone else. This isn't about anybody else. We all look at ourselves and go, I wish this weren't true about myself. I wish I could get rid of that part of me. I, I wish this could be fixed. Everybody who's honest knows that. And yet we have a society that's trying to convince us you're perfect just the way you are. Now, I'm no psychologist. But do you think that the incredibly high rates of anxiety and depression and mental illness might have something to do with society telling us to believe something we inherently know is not true? The gospel says don't believe that you got to admit what is true, that we are people in desperate need of a Savior, that we are more flawed, more broken than we would ever dare admit, but yet at the same time, more accepted and loved than we'd ever dare dream. This is the ground in which 
faith in Christ grows because we are calling out in desperation, help! And we are trusting him more and more and more as we are surrendering our life to him. Not trying to maintain control ourselves. That's what faith in Christ is. It's also the the seedbed where love grows. Right? Love. You know that word. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Not a sentimental feeling, but agape. Love. The love God has for humanity. A love that is unconditional. Sacrifice. The love that was embodied by Jesus as he hung on the cross. The more you recognize and understand the gospel, the seedbed, the more you'll grow in love. Yes, as the scripture says, for all the saints, all God's people. But frankly, if you look at the whole of scripture, for people in general. Why? Well, because, because you recognize that you yourself have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, and you have no business being there in your own merit. Like the gospel helps you understand that, that I have been shown mercy, I have been shown grace, I have been shown forgiveness and love in spite of who I am, not because of who I am, and if that's the case, the more and more I understand that, then when someone rubs me the wrong way, steps on my toe or ticks me off, I can begin to go, oh wait, maybe if Jesus loved me this way, then I can love them that way. See, they grow together and they have to. You can't grow in faith in Christ and not grow in love for God's people. But it is happening. It's happening here in our fellowship. I see it. And it's happening in the world around. It was happening there. Notice the celebratory tone in verse 6. Notice what Paul is saying. This is happening. God has planted the seed. It is growing out of the hope of the gospel. It's happening increasingly, not just in you, but in the world all around. I know here in America and in the West, if you include Europe, it seems like Jesus is losing. He's not. He's not. He is refining our faith in these countries, and if you study what's happening in the world, the gospel is on fire in places like China and South America and Africa. Like We celebrate what God is doing. All right, so if that's the nature of faith, that the, that the seedbed of faith is the gospel of hope, and through it grows faith in Christ Jesus and love for all God's people, then what are we hoping for? What should we expect as we continue to walk together in life? The rest of this passage outlines that. And I want to just briefly point them out to you. So look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice the tense of that sentence. That you may be filled. Don't make the mistake of taking things into your own hands. Verse 3 already told us God's the one at work here. He's still at work. The tense here in verse 9 is passive tense. 
We pray that you may be filled. God's the one who's working in you through the Holy Spirit. He's the one, if we're going to use that image, that's watering the garden. He's the one that's keeping the squirrels away. He's the one that's helping the growth to happen. Now, you and I can cooperate with this, or we can frustrate it. But never make the mistake of thinking that we're the one that causes the growth or does the work. The Scripture says there are four outcomes of God's work in our life that we ought to notice if we are truly growing in faith and in love. These outlines are beginning to be listed in verse 10, and so you might make a note in your journal, like life outcomes that please God might be a good heading here. So things you just want to see and ask yourself, is this true about my life? Because if you have truly believed the gospel, you will begin to see these four things grow. Life outcomes that please God. Verse 10, the first one, that we bear fruit in every good work. See that? After the colon, bearing fruit in every good work. That our life in Christ should be visible. Means there's a change within us. Could be a change in priorities or a change in attitudes. It's probably both. Think about your life compared to your neighbor or someone that you might know, appreciate, admire, but they don't follow Jesus like you do. Does your life look any different than their life? Stacy and I are trying to raise our kids in this crazy sports culture, youth sports culture, and, and we're recognizing more and more we cannot go with the crowd and lead our children to follow Jesus at the same time, that our priorities have to be different. And so we are saying more and more and more, nope, 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 nope. And some of our friends don't understand. We try to be gentle and gracious, non-judgmental, but we have different priorities than they do. Our attitudes also change. The fruits of the Spirit ought to be born more and more. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness ought to mark our lives if we are growing faith in Christ and love for all God's people. So that's one. Life outcomes that please God. One, we bear fruit in every good work. You can see the fruit. It's visible. Two, we grow in the knowledge of God. And this isn't just head knowledge. This is the Greek word translated knowledge here is better thought of as wisdom. This is not just uh, knowing the right thing, but, but doing the right thing. Because you know. This ver the, the very same word is used in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. There we read, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. That is to say, if you know God's way and yet refuse to do God's will, what can God do? Wisdom is not only knowing, but doing God's will. As you follow Christ, you will more and more Walk in wisdom. Number three, we develop a strength that enables endurance 
and joyful patience. Do you see that? That's the end of verse 11 that I'm suggesting there. According to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So first one, one, we bear fruit in every good work. Two, we grow in the knowledge of God. Three, we develop a strength that enables endurance and joyful patience. Why? Well, because following Jesus and a life lived in faith usually is long and is hard. It's not always the thrill that it is at the beginning. We don't always have that feeling of, oh, I'm so in love with God and I know God loves me. That often it's monotonous and sometimes even a great challenge. And because they're early in the faith, Colossians, Paul wanted to make sure they understood that. It's kind of like yesterday. Yesterday, uh, Rosa Barber and Elijah Lundquist. Know this couple? couple that came into the life of this church about two years ago, two, two and a half years ago, very young high schoolers just took it upon themselves to find a new church. Who does that? They did. So they came here, and they were in love, boy, right from the start. And they wanted to get married, like as soon as they were 18 years old. Their parents weren't exactly sure. You can understand that, right? And they were looking for my blessing, and even as I tried to encourage their relationship, I'm going, Boy, you're kind of young, right? Pastor Clint, this is all right, don't you think? Well, Elijah's the same age as my son Isaac, so I'm thinking if I say yes to him, word's going to get back to, no, right? But we stood here. After, for a whole year, we did premarital counseling, not just what I normally do with couples. Stacy and I had them over to our house frequently. We talked about marriage. We read through an extra book. We did all of this. Why? Because I wanted to make the case to them, look, you love each other, and it's genuine, and it's true, but anybody who's been married for any length of time knows it is hard. And there are times you don't even feel love. And it will be boring, and monotonous, and hurtful, and wonderful, and all of that. Be ready for it. Paul's doing the same thing here. If you're growing in faith, then what will become more and more true of you is that you are someone who has a strength that leads to endurance and a patient joy. Patient joy. And then the last one, and I'll wrap up. The last one. That we develop a spirit of gratitude. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. That the more we grow in the gospel, the more we become marked by gratitude. Is it true for you as it's true for me that the most godly people I have encountered in life are also the most grateful people that I have encountered in life. And that statement is not dependent on their circumstances. Many of those people have gone through incredibly hard trials, and yet God has enabled them to nurture a spirit of gratitude. 
I was preaching this in the first service. It just came to me. One of those saints that I admire who passed on from our congregation a few years back. Many of you know Roostrobeck, right? And she always had a phrase. Somebody call that phrase out. What was Roost's phrase about gratitude? Attitude and gratitude. That's right. Regardless of the circumstances of her life, she always said, it's all about attitude and gratitude. Exhibiting that as we follow Jesus. Now, I was just told she had another phrase. I'm just going to share this because it's hilarious, right? She had another phrase that says, I don't know where I'm going, but I have friends in both places. Friends, as we continue in the study of this book, we've got to understand the the fundamentals of our faith, the nature of the gospel. It's born out of the seedbed of of the hope of the gospel. It produces faith in Christ and love for all God's people. And if we are truly following Christ, we will bear fruit more and more in every good work. We'll grow in the knowledge of God will develop a strength that enables endurance and joyful patience, and we will exhibit gratitude. Gratitude that defies the circumstances we might be going through more and more. 21 days without rain. I've been watering, hoping. So too does God water and nurture the faith in your life. May we believe that God is indeed at work. May we be people of hope. And may we cooperate with the work of the Spirit as he seeks to grow from the foundation of the hope of the gospel, faith and love in our life together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for for revealing yourself to us by your spirit, through your word, for planting the seed of the gospel in our life, for nurturing a life of faith and a life of love within us. Would you help us to believe, not just one time, not just once where we give our lives to you, but every day, would you help us to believe the gospel? And so grow as people who are trusting and surrendering and believing in you, Jesus, more and more as we also are people who are exhibiting love, agape love, sacrificial love, unconditional love for your people and really anyone we encounter in this world because we know how you have loved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.